everyone. This is Rohan and welcome to the Wharton Digital Health Podcast. It's a podcast where MBAs can connect with the alumni community about the latest trends, company initiatives, and jobs available in the payer provider, digital health, and investing spaces. Today, we are very lucky to have Grace Bell. Grace is a Wharton 2017 grad, and she currently works for Caremore Health in LA as the Specialty Operations Director. Before Wharton, Grace worked in consulting, as well as for the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Caremore is a managed care plan serving more than 150,000 members in 10 states. Welcome, Grace. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you. Um, you're really well known in the community as a recent grad alumni and then, of course, current students because you, you mentor a lot of us. So it's great to have a familiar face. Uh, can't wait to pick your brain today. For the few folks that maybe don't know your story and don't know your, your career path, could you give us a brief summary um, of your career path kind of before and after Wharton and then how you got to care more? Absolutely. So I actually started my career at UPenn Health System. So I'm a Philly native um, right off the bat. And I started interning there um, after my freshman year of college in their finance department. And I was in a meeting with Independence Blue Cross and a negotiation between UPenn Health System and Independence Blue Cross around payments. Um, and the entire time I kept thinking about how the payment that we were negotiating and what was on kind of the charge master for the patient was completely separated from actually what was going to be paid and the services that may or may not have been delivered. And I went back and ended up doing a self-designed major in health finance um, at my undergrad alma mater, Case Western, and ended up um, focusing my entire studies on undergraduate finance because I thought that was an important aspect of healthcare. And then I took graduate classes through the law school, the med school, pretty much any healthcare class that I could find. Um, and that led me to taking um, a job at Huron Consulting Group in their clinical operations practice after I graduated, doing large change management type consulting. So Huron does a little bit of strategy and then does nine months of change management implementation. Um, and so it really taught me about how do you actually influence change and make those types of changes in large academic medical centers. And then I made a pivot um, to the New York City Department of Health. It is very rare that you get a research opportunity while you're an undergrad that then leads you to a job when you graduate. So I did four years of research in electronic health records as an undergrad and then got an opportunity to essentially live out my abstract for my high, uh, college senior thesis wow. um, at, the, you know, at the New York City Department of Health. Um, so I worked implementing electronic health records in small primary care practice all throughout New York City. My specialty was with immigrant-based communities, so primarily non-English speaking clinics and non-English speaking neighborhoods in New York. Um, and they could choose whatever electronic health record they wanted and I would go in and do their technical implementation, train them on how to use it, redo all of their workflows. Uh, the caveat is that I only speak English. Um, so it was a great opportunity to say, how do you make these types of relationships and bonds and essentially con someone into using a computer when they have no interest in doing that? Um, and so we really built relationships through food. So I would eat whatever they would suggest and then tell them what I thought. Um, and as someone who grew up on a lot of meat and potatoes growing up as a true Irish family, um, I can't handle spice very well. So they thought most of my clients felt that that was really funny and we built relationships on that um, that then helped them implement electronic health records. We then, once all of these clinicians were on EHRs throughout New York City, they then transitioned into a quality improvement initiative. So then we used that technology to run citywide management of chronic disease. 
um, which was an amazing opportunity. And what I really found was a, a deep passion in working with these primarily Medicare and Medicaid-based communities in New York um, yeah. for how they could manage chronic disease. But I felt that working in government wasn't necessarily the pace that I needed um, for my career. So I ended up going to Wharton, um, coming back home to Philadelphia to pursue my MBA. And HCM was, obvious, was an obvious choice given my um, passion for healthcare. And um, while I was at school, I interned in, at um, Rittenhouse Ventures, which is a small venture capital fund um, doing seed and Series A investing in Philadelphia in early stage technology companies. Um, and I worked with their healthcare technology companies, both their current investments as well as um, evaluating for future investments. Um, and then after I graduated, I joined Caremore um, in the role as their director of specialty operations um, and moved to Los Angeles, which is where I am. You've got um, industry, venture, consulting, government, got a ton of experience. So it's great to hear the trajectory. And because uh, people always think, oh, was it planned? Was it not? And you've kind of shown us how a combination of um, kind of acumen for what you like, then also stumbling upon something wonderful, such as the matchup between your undergrad work and then your implementation work uh, has really paid out. So that's that's fantastic. Let's Let's transition to setting the stage for why a company like Caremore needs to exist. And we're going to dive into the company properly and, and your role properly. But um, first, let's just give a brief overview of the company for our listeners who know nothing about it, kind of how long it's been around and services provided. And then we'll zoom out to manage care as a whole and start to talk about that. Sounds great. Caremore was founded in 1993 as a, a risk-bearing provider group. So they um, worked with different health insurances as an integrated provider group where they actually took on risk for their patients, um, which now sounds very common, um, but in 1993 was um, very abnormal for a provider group to seek out. And so we started in Downey, California, where we took on risk in 1993 on behalf of our patients for the entire um, cost of that patient and really looked at everything from hospital to outpatient care. Um, we started by having um, taking the hospitalist role and making what we call extensivist, which is actually extending from the hospital, our physicians are then in the SNF, and then furthermore um, into our care centers and into our clinics. We also partner with um, and have launched clinics that are disease management focused, so they focused on CHF, COPD, diabetes, um, chronic kidney disease. And that's the primary focus of our, um, our care centers that focus around um, disease management. We've now started to embed specialty care into those care centers. Um, we have behavioral health embedded in every single care center um, throughout Caremore. And then we also um, embed additional specialties depending on the needs of those patients. And then partner with primary care. We have both employed and contracted primary care providers that are a part of our network. Um, and we also have both care center-based work as well as mobile care um, now. Care, uh, Caremore transitioned from 1993 and was a provider group until 2006 when we were purchased by a private equity organization. In, organization. in 2006, we also became a health plan. Um, so we then took our risk-bearing entities a, a step further and became our own health plan. Um, we were then acquired uh, years later by Anthem Insurance. So now in our partnership and um, as a fully owned subsidiary of Anthem, they are the insurance-based entity and we've actually returned to our roots essentially as a delegated provider group. So our patients have um, Anthem-based insurance for the most part 
um, and then we are the care delivery entity um, for Anthem um, and for, for our patients. Our patients are primarily Medicare and Medicaid, but we are um, launching uh, commercial initiatives as well um, starting in 2019. That's excellent. Okay, thanks for giving us that overview of CareMore. Let me ask a couple of clarifying questions. So CareMore used to be a provider only. It then became um, a plan as well. And then um, are you telling us a sort of post-acquisition um, by WellPoint, it has moved back towards its provider roots and, and Anthem WellPoint, that is the underwriting health insurance plan. Is that the general lay of the land? That is the general lay of the land. We also have started to partner with other health insurances as well. So we have two other health insurance partners that we have partnered with as their care delivery aspects. So we have a partnership with Cigna as well as a partnership with SCAN um, that have continued to drive the fact that CareMore is very interested in being a delegated provider group on behalf of high-risk um, patients, both in the Medicare and the Medicaid space. Um, and really helping address um, frail and fragile populations regardless of health insurance. Yeah, this is fantastic. And so a lot of our listeners uh, will probably hear this and say, oh, you know, CareMore, that sounds like they've got a lot of partnerships or they're doing a lot of different things. I think that's, I think that's part of the course. If you're trying to deliver sort of care to a complex population, you do need a lot of partnerships. You need vertical relationships. Um, and CareMore is certainly leading the way in doing that. It's in every conversation. So that's great to hear. Um, before we go more into camera, let's zoom out and give folks more of a sense of managed care overall, just because that's one of my favorite topics. So uh, selfishly, I want to spread the word on it. Um, managed care, you know, you said Caremore started in 1993. That's when it started to pick up in the U.S. And we started to see a blip of that in popularity in the 90s. But it quickly died out as folks didn't feel like they wanted um, to be told what to do when it comes to their health care. Now in 2018, managed care seems to be roaring back um, and not just because the Affordable Care Act and things like that say we need to move to value-based care. There seem to be other vectors moving us towards being a managed care country in a way. Why do you think that is? Like, do, first of all, do you think the thesis is right that this is now finally the time for managed care? Well, let's, let's start there. I do believe that this is the time for managed care and for people to think more holistically. And I think part of that is because we now have the opportunity to do a better job actually putting a dollar sign to a value of a care of a, of care delivery. So because we're able to assign value and really quantify quality, I think this is why it's a different opportunity now than it was in 1993 before really strong electronic health records before um, really good data analytics programs, that those types of things have allowed for us to have a, met a better understanding of quality. But I do think that there are some pieces that are partially there versus all the way. So while I was working at the New York City Department of Health, I worked a lot with ACOs that were taking on risk, IPAs that were taking on risk. Um, however, they were taking on risk for a small aspect of their patient population or for only a few quality measures. And I think while that is a good step, one thing I really appreciate about a system like CareMore is that we're a full risk chassis on behalf of our patients. So every single aspect of their care is something we are financially at risk for. And because of that, it allows us to think 
completely holistically about our patients um, because every single dollar is something that um, kind of is hitting our bottom line. So it allows us to have to think about what are the pieces that we need to put toward prevention? What are the pieces that we need to address from a senior loneliness perspective because that's impacting their healthcare? How do we invest in gym memberships for our members regardless of their age so they can engage in that population? So it changes the conversation around technology and investment um, because we're a full risk chassis versus an ACO or IPA model where they might only be at risk for certain pieces. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into that chassis because this is what you, you're uniquely positioned to kind of help us understand this better. Managed care could mean just an insurance plan, period, with no true vertical relationships. Maybe they have some network or whatever it is, but no true care protocols or like care centers like CareMore has or kind of a deep vertical relationship or, or either into the care center, like meaning the clinical area or into the home. Um, do you believe that that vertical is necessary for a true managed care environment? Or can you just be a plan or just be a provider system and still get it right? I think the best way to do it, in my opinion, and obviously I'm biased, is to have kind of an integration between the plan and the provider. That part of what has worked really successfully has been a joining together of benefit design um, on behalf of the patients from a health plan perspective, really being able to impact and drive that, but also being able to say, okay, and we are responsible for the delivery of that care. Um, I think that managed care primarily, you are right in the US, has been driven by a um, health insurer alone and that they have contracted with different networks. However, that requires that the providers themselves continue to, or continue to be paid in many cases, sometimes in cap, but in many cases still on a fee-for-service mentality, which doesn't allow for the same type of transition to quality that we really need to actually make managed care have the same type of oomph that's necessary for it to succeed. Where I think being able to bring together the care delivery aspect with the benefit design and with kind of that narrower network approach, it allows for a really improved partnership to be able to say, how can we look at the, uh, at the care more holistically? How can we design the finances of how we're compensating our physicians so that they're incentivized the same way on behalf of patient care and really being able to drive for the best quality outcomes longitudinally for our patients, as opposed to playing a short game of fee-for-service care? Yeah, yeah. Well, Caremore is definitely in the long game, and it's time I got out of the way and we just listened to you about Caremore. So let's transition talking about the company. Um, and there's so much you do, and you all are really on the forefront of managed care, so it's easy to try to talk about everything. Can we start by talking about the evolution of your roles? Because a lot of the themes of the podcast are wanting to learn about the people themselves and how they've maneuvered through industry. So can you give us a sense of how you, you know, started there and then sort of how you've moved through the organization and what you've been working on. Absolutely. So as part of my role coming into Caremore, I kind of um, inter interviewed at Caremore um, a little bit on the whim. I had June Kinney email Sachin Jane, who's our CEO, um, saying that I was interested in a role and he responds, as if any of you have ever emailed him, incredibly quickly. So um, I emailed him on a Tuesday, was on a phone with um, an HR lead Tuesday evening and out in Los Angeles for an interview that Friday. Um, 
And so it was a really great opportunity to really get a sense um, during my day here at Caremore about the culture of the organization, about where their, their mission was. And I felt that it very much aligned with my own, that for Caremore, it was around kind of putting patients first, but there was also this sense of urgency that I hadn't yeah. really felt at most organizations, that we needed to change things rapidly within healthcare to really address the concerns for a very fragile and frail population. And when I think about yeah. my career, I liked and disliked things about each of my jobs. In consulting, I liked doing change management and really seeing a change through um, to fruition, but I didn't love working in large academic medical centers because I felt that they weren't necessarily at the ground where care was being delivered. As government, yeah. I loved working in with clinics um, and working with Medicare and Medicaid populations, but I didn't like the pace of working in government. And when I was yeah. in venture, I loved the innovation, but I felt that we were innovating a lot for Wharton alumni. We weren't necessarily innovating in the same way for the patients that really needed the innovation and where the majority of the healthcare costs were. And I felt that at Caremore, I was getting the innovation and the challenge. I was working with the right populations that I was interested in, and I was going to be implementing longitudinal change. And I felt that this was the first role in the first company that I felt really aligned with where I wanted my career to be. Um, yeah. And so when the opportunity came up to run our specialty operations, so it was a, a, a role that was new to Caremore, and it's running the strategy and operations across all specialty care at Caremore, um, I was uh, obviously jumped at the opportunity, but it was also a little bit of a pivot because after working at the Department of Health, I became a diehard lover of primary care um, and the sure. importance of primary care. And part of what the goal is here at Caremore is how can we leverage our specialists to create a confident generalist? So how can we create education platforms? How can we create a curbside consult in a structured way? How can we utilize utilization management to really empower our generalist clinicians to have access to specialists for, so that they can make better holistic picture um, decisions on behalf of our patients, but then also be able to leverage our specialists, whether it's virtually for a one-time consult for ongoing care um, yeah. in a way that actually drives care forward um, holistically on behalf of our patients. Is there a hub and spoke model where the primary care physician or the hospital, whatever the role, the term we're using is the hub and then you count on them it's similar to an ACO, you sort of count on them to have the connection with the specialists and, and you built that bridge and made that friction pretty seamless so that the transitions of care are done correctly. Is that one of the tenets of Caremore? Have I got it wrong? So we definitely have um, kind of a robust kind of, I guess, hub and spoke. I don't know if that is the right term. Um, both our PCPs as well as our disease management nurse practitioners are really active and our extensivists are really active in um, transitioning patients appropriately to specialty care, utilizing um, our specialists through Tiger Connect, which is a HIPAA compliant texting platform, um, through virtual care uh, by phone to really get their basic questions answered before they're even referred um, out to these specialists. In some cases, we have employed specialty that are working within those care centers. So you're able to grab our psychiatrist and ask them a question. You're able to grab a cardiologist and um, ask them a question or do a joint vision, uh, visit off the bat. Um, but in some cases, we have kind of a 
like a gold card list of specialties that really allow us to say, okay, these are the specialists that we have great communication with that have proven great quality that really align with us on really our care delivery goals. And we can really partner with them on behalf of patient care. And so we have kind of that, that approach um, for our, that our PCPs can access as well as our, our other clinicians. Got it. Got it. So it sounds pretty seamless. Um, well, tell us about tell us about a day in the life. So what maybe just in the last quarter or two, I'm sure you have had a, tons of different roles and worked on tons of different things. So to make it a little easier for you, maybe talk us through the last quarter or two and what have been one of your one or two focus areas so folks get a sense of what you're working on. So one, I would say kind of with specialty care, we cover about 10 different specialties across all 10 states where we operate. So cardiology, pulmonary, nephrology, behavioral health, dental, pretty much all of the ologies, behavioral health and dental is the easy way of saying it. Um, and for some of the pieces that we've been looking at, so when we look at our dental care delivery, um, it's been a, an area where we've launched an in in our clinic, a dental clinic in one of our clinics here in Southern California. Um, and what we've been trying to do is how do we expand better dental access for our patients? So that's something that we're in active discussion for. Do we use a virtual dental platform? Are we going to hire dentists or hygienists in all of these care centers? So a lot of it has actually been thinking through the strategic aspects of of our dental initiatives now that we've launched that for about a year. And so a lot of this past quarter, when it comes to our dental work has been analyzing, we've seen great quality outcomes, we've seen great stickiness with the patients that have been involved in the program. Um, we've had great um, results, but how are we going to expand that and what is our goal of expansion and what type of technologies could we utilize on behalf of our providers to really drive this forward? Um, that's one of the projects. I think another project that we've launched is um, a CKD education platform. So for our patients that have chronic kidney disease, we experience this in all of our markets. Um, what does education look like? CareMore is a care delivery organization. We are not, um, we do a lot of education on behalf of our providers, but we know that we're not always the best in the business when it comes to that. So we also develop a lot of partners. So we've partnered with the National Kidney Foundation um, to actually co-design and um, these educations that are both patient-facing, nephrologist-facing, so provider-facing, as well as um, caremore-facing and generalist-facing, um, so that we can actually educate our generalist providers on chronic kidney disease so they can continue this communication. We can educate our dietitians so that they can have better communication with our patients, and then educate our patients so that they are more aware about how their disease progresses. Within kidney disease, you don't necessarily totally understand um, that you are sick because you don't oh, yeah. feel sick right away as a patient. Um, okay. so a lot of the things that need to you need to do to slow progression, you need to do when you actually don't feel sick at all, which seems counterintuitive to most of our patient populations. So we really need to educate them on what they need to do, educate them on what's happening within their own body, and then allow them to start making decisions about if when they do reach end-stage renal disease, what type of program are they looking for? Are they looking for palliative care? Are they looking for peritoneal dialysis or hemodialysis? What does that actually look like so they can be more involved in that conversation with their providers? Um, yeah. So that's something that we've been working on. And then the last piece is definitely behavioral health. Behavioral health is the largest specialty that we employ here at CareMore. Um, it's employed oh, wow. in every single state for both therapy and psychiatry. 
Um, and I think that, is, that has been a very large part of our role is really rolling out a strong behavioral health program. Our, our mantra is that all care more clinicians should be behavioral health clinicians. So what is the education that we need to do for our specialists so that they are aware and can answer really challenging questions? And how do we get our generalists, our medical assistants, um, who we call clinical partners, um, all members of our care delivery team really comfortable with managing both um, patients with really um, with severe mental illness and, and how they deal with those patients in terms of chronic disease, diabetes, hypertension, um, but also how do you deal with those with um, initial um, episodes of depression or anxiety, and how can our generalists be involved in those initial treatment pieces using um, medication or mindfulness or other therapeutic techniques to really start to engage with those patients before their transition to our behavioral health team so that every member of our team is really wrapping around that patient um, who is dealing with both physical health and behavioral health and that those are are, are linked together very, um, very importantly for our patients. Got it. Wow. Well, I'm hearing a lot of themes emerge. So let me rattle off a couple and Grace, just jump in and correct me if I've got anything wrong. Number one, Caremore believes in taking care of the whole patient. So, I mean, um, it's not, it cannot just be you specialize in diabetes and COPD or whatever it is. I mean, you, you, you wrap around to behavioral health is a huge uh, initiative and it seems like it has been for a long time, given the scale of your implementation. Three, you try a lot of new things, um, even when uh, it's hard to maybe measure the perfect results. So as an example, the education piece that you talked about, it's probably hard to directly figure out the ROI, but you really do invest in the specialist generalist relationship and the education piece there, especially education as relates to patients. Um, so on the CKD front, I believe the duopoly of David and Fresenius needs to be taken away. So even education can help do that. Um, and then it sounds like um, you're willing to make investments in new initiatives all the time. So that's what the dental care sounds like. Um, are those some of the main kind of themes out there? Did, did I miss any or get any wrong? No, you definitely highlighted the main theme. And I think the other main theme that really brought me into this role and brought me into care more was the idea of a confident generalist, that really to empower and to have a confident generalist, whether that's a PCP or a disease management nurse practitioner or an extensivist, um, that they really need to be supported holistically by a specialty care organization so that they can continue to treat the majority of our, of our work for our patients. That as, in, as a healthcare industry, we have relied so heavily on specialist care. We have really pivoted where we can go as at, for care and it's caused a lot of cost in our healthcare system. Um, we yeah. believe that specialty care is important, but that it also should be driven primarily, healthcare should be driven primarily by a competent generalist. And that yeah. um, part of our role is really building systems that allow for those generalists to be educated, to have access to specialists so that they can be a part of those decision makings as opposed to deferring the decision because um, they don't feel that they either know enough or have enough time um, to actually be able to work through some of these things with the patient. Yeah, well, I think building systems where you emphasize internal medicine and primary care docs being the focus um, eventually will trickle down into the culture of residency as well, where residents see that they have opportunities to go in the workplace and become a valued part of the workforce um, and a central decision maker for the patient. So Caremore now with 150,000 members, when you're starting to impact that scale, 
Um, and I think it'll trickle down backwards to, to, to folks making decisions about residency too, because we have a dearth of primary care docs. I want to give you just a second before we transition. I know Caremore is doing some really cool things around seniors and thinking about senior care and complex senior care in different ways. If you can just spend a minute and just give us a couple of the initiatives you guys are working on in that area. So one of my favorite initiatives is um, our togetherness program. So our togetherness program, um, many of you may have read about, is our way of combating senior loneliness. Um, we believe that senior loneliness is a chronic disease and uh, dramatically impacts our patients' health. Um, so we've started a um, company-wide initiative to combat that. And why I say it is company-wide is that our togetherness program is built by volunteers within um, Caremore and Anthem. Um, so our goal for this initiative is for patients to, who are identified as loneliness, lonely, so we use um, the UCLA loneliness scale, um, and our patients are screened. If they um, come back as positive on the loneliness scale, they're then added to a list and they are assigned a togetherness PAL, um, and they talk on the phone once a week. It's really simple. It's not flashy. Um, and then after your phone conversation, you document into um, a form that sends it over to our togetherness connectors who help with referrals, who do um, long-term check-ins and trending on behalf of these patients to make sure things are moving in the right directions around activities, around socialization. Um, and we've been able to track that patients that participate in this program um, have um, improved health outcomes, um, improved activity. So they um, go to our gym, which is called Nifty After 50. Um, and those are the pieces that really improve their overall healthcare. Um, yeah. And for me, it's really great because I'm not a clinician. I don't work with our patients day in and day out. I work with clinicians who work with our patients day in and day out. And so this has also been a great way for me to connect with one of our patients directly and really kind of um, build that kind of patient first mentality for myself, um, even from our corporate headquarters. So it's been a really um, wonderful and fulfilling way for most of our staff to really get involved and have that patient touch regardless of their role. Um, but it's made a huge impact clinically for our patients. And it's actually part of our benefit package for all Caremore patients in 2019. And it's an initiative that Anthem is rolling out broadly across the Anthem um, EOB as well for 2019. So it's something that we're really excited about and we, um, we're definitely the first within the Anthem community and the first within um, the national community to really take on this as a, as a broad sweeping initiative. And it's something that we're really proud of because it's made such a huge impact in the life of our patients. That's excellent, especially in a time when the human touch is less emphasized as much as the digital touch is pushed forward. Uh, it's great to see you all taking the lead on that. Clearly, we could pick your brain for days on managed care and care more, but we like to keep the podcast short, so I got to move on. I'm going to take us to the hiring section. So now you've convinced everyone uh, in the Wharton community to work for CareMore and maybe work for you. Uh, how do they do it? So can you talk to us about hiring MBAs at CareMore and kind of what's their best way to get in? So luckily we have, um, I came to CareMore in 2017. We had two individuals join CareMore from the Wharton community in 2018. So we're hoping to keep the trend alive. Um, so please reach out to us. Um, we have opportunities both um, Centrally, so we have two central offices. Um, we have one in Los Angeles, one in New York. Um, we also have, we have newly acquired Aspire Health, 
um, which is a palliative care company based out of Nashville. So there'll definitely be opportunities in Nashville. Beyond that, we have opportunities in each of our regions. So we have Northern California, Vegas, Tucson, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, we're launching New York in a few months, Colorado. So we have, um, we're in 10 states now, we'll be in uh, 12 states very soon. Um, and so there will be a lot of opportunities for people to be also in those regions. Um, so you can hire into a strategic-based role at Caremore or into an operations-based role at Caremore, um, as well as a myriad of other things, depending on your background. Um, so if you have any interest, please feel free to reach out to me by email, um, and I'd be happy to um, help find the right place for you here at the Caremore community. Great. Well, I can say there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and read the blog post that will 100% back up what you say. Grace is very easy to reach out to. She talks to, I don't know, ballpark of Grace, at least a couple of people a week. I'm just going to guess based on how many folks know you um, in the community. I mean, you're always talking. So can we kind of go to that for a second? Because, you know, just to give our viewers a sense of it, Grace personally knows multiple of the podcast guests that we've interviewed before um, in the community. Everyone sort of knows her. She comes back to the healthcare conference. She gets mobbed uh, left and right. So you talk to a lot of Wharton students, current and graduates. Um, can you just tell us kind of, we all think we're unique, but can you give us a couple of the takeaways or the main themes you've seen across all these conversations you've had giving folks advice? Um, on how to how to enter the healthcare space and why? I think the main theme that I see as a part of my conversations is just people wanting to learn more about managed care and how care more works. I think there are a lot of companies that are getting pressed now around managed care or how they're addressing primary care. Um, and they really do want to learn more about the space. Why is it different? Um, and so a lot of my conversations are just giving some of that background and that context. I think another piece that um, I've talked to a lot of my colleagues about is around how do you make the transition from being a third party? The only thing that consulting, venture, and government have in common is that you're near the, uh, the thing, but you're not actually doing the thing. Um, so what does it mean to actually be as a part of a third party organization in healthcare versus um, working in a business and working as an operator? And I think that that has been another theme about kind of what is the right piece for the people that I'm talking to? How do they make a decision of what they're interested in? What are the challenges, um, both the glamorous side of being an operator and in a lot of cases, the not so glamorous side of being an operator? Um, and how can you actually determine what is the right step for you? So those are kind of two of the themes and I think something that um, as a student or as I continue to kind of go through my own career, I continue to reflect on as, as what are the opportunities that I'm interested in and same for the people that I speak with um, through the Wharton community. Another plug, I mean, if you, you got to talk to Grace. So just reach out to her and she'll get back to you. Um, any last thoughts? We'd just like to open up uh, this section for our guests to give us advice they have or um, companies they want to highlight in this space or, or things that, that we might have missed on the podcast they want to touch on. I think the one thing that I would touch on is that as soon as I walked through the doors here at Caremore, I knew immediately that these were my people. Um, and I think part of that was because I spent a lot of time thinking about what I liked and disliked about each of my roles, but also what was my own mission of what I wanted to do within my career within healthcare and what was the type of patient and the type of problem that I wanted to solve. And because of that, it became immediately apparent when I met these people that these were the people that I wanted to work with and the problem that I wanted to be a part of. So I guess my 
final advice is really spend some time kind of reflecting on that for yourself as you're going through the career process um, and think through how you can identify that because then you're able to identify it, whether it's one day, one interview, um, to really know if that's the right fit for you. Um, Sajin joked at the healthcare conference last year as we were hiring in all of these states and really expanding that um, there are a bunch of people who are Caremore at heart. They just don't work at Caremore yet. Um, and that's definitely how I felt when I walked in the door. And I think that's how I feel as we go and interview um, for positions all over the country about it's really about finding the people that really put patients first and are really interested in innovating great change within a very fragile and frail population um, and really finding those people that want to be a part of, of that change within healthcare. And so it's been fun being able to meet people that have a care more heart um, and just then convincing them that it's time for them to kind of take their time and step into the care more community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's lovely. And again, listeners, we're lucky to have uh, a current and very much a future leader in the managed care space across America, Grace Bell. Grace, thanks a lot for spending the time with us today. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you.